Welcome to Talking in Stations, podcast about EVE Online. I am Matt Earl, and I'm here with the gang from Talking in Stations, Arcia Elkin. Hello, how are you doing? Suktonia. Hey, what's up? And Caleb. Hey, guys. Okay, so uh, today we have a special recorded previously program from CCP. We record them offline so that uh, we can find a suitable time for developers to uh, talk to us, which is a different time than this West Coast presentation is done. So uh, we record them beforehand and then we play them on Sunday, which we did a couple weeks ago. And that's what we'll have for the first half of the show. Then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, this week's news uh, with uh, some of our subject matter experts. Um, but first, I wanted to show you that uh, we have this uh, first time thing that we're doing at uh, Talking In Stations. We are going to make uh, endorsements for people who help out Talking In Stations as a subject matter expert. And we want you to consider uh, whoever you want inside of uh, the election and make your choice of conscience. But uh, these people that are on our list are people who you have seen every Sunday and throughout the week, and you've seen them in TIS Discord. And of course, they are uh, incredibly prepared and uh, knowledgeable in their areas. And we thought it would be a shame not to tell you that uh, we like them as much as you do. And uh, we think that you should vote for them because, uh, you know, these are, these are people that can advance the game in the right way. So that's what we're doing. Right, Caleb, you have anything to add to that? Only that uh, Spot is supposed to be first. He tells me this at least. Oh, yeah, according to Spot. And I think he's a little biased, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's so, the rules, always Spot first. Otherwise, you get shot by Blues. Yeah, we're not. No, it's the other way around, though, right? Like, uh, Dark Ochre is now the most valuable ore for some reason, and Spot Lane <laughs> is also really valuable. So I think it's, I think it's like uh, Bistot first now, right? Which <laughs> is kind of surprising. Well, neither Dark Ochre or Bistot is running this year. <laughs> Instructions unclear, mining croquet. Yeah, it's a shame. If it was Dr. Bistot, I'd put him number one. But since he's Dr. Spot I guess I have to put him number three. <laughs> All right. Uh, so check out that list. What I really like about this, uh, and Caleb and I were talking about it, is that this is great representation from across the board, right? From wormholes to role-playing uh, to small gang to solo, uh, new player, very experienced uh, old players, null sec. I mean, we have it all. So that's what's no so neat is competing. About well, everyone is competing with Suetonia because Suetonia yeah. has proven to know everything about the game, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. Seems to be fuzzy. Seems to be fuzzy. Probably, probably was probably ahead of me. I think if you add up the points and like both of the ones that we did. Yeah, he was. And I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't go into the. I didn't do the first one. So we we don't know, right? We don't know the tiebreaker. Well, and we banned him because we suspected he had a huge hand in actually writing the questions, right? What are you talking um, about? Explain what you're talking about so that people it's know. the birthday uh, stream they did where they did this uh, quite entertaining quiz uh, show this. with uh, questions about everything in the game. Um, and uh, I think it was uh, Suetonia and Ashtarathi and Fozzie basically battling out for the crown at least for quite a while in there. I'm just upset it happened when I was sleeping. Oh, yeah, yeah. Potentially, there's a lot of like uh, U.S. Time Zone people who are also really smart who didn't get a, an opportunity to take part in the quiz. So. 
But there was a quiz by CCP. It was streamed, and uh, uh, you were on there against uh, CCP Fozzie. So, but I mean, we one know of you the have... prizes was uh, super cool. Actually, uh, I've got it as my background now. But uh, one of the prizes was you got a like commission uh, watermark from uh, Lloyd George, which is an artist. Uh, he's on. He's called LGO, I think, on Reddit. He does like these uh, watercolor ships. They're really awesome and. Uh, I don't use Facebook, but you can check him out on Facebook. I think he has a Twitter too. And I think he also auctions off some of his paintings on Facebook. So if you think they look awesome, then you should uh, should check him out because he's a really talented artist and it looks amazing. And you got the Kestrel, of course. Yeah, they're quite cool. Also, uh, as Nick is pointing out, I think the the, the quiz was just a time tank, so Asia didn't dominate it. <laughs> no, that's just a consistent problem with a lot of the the stuff ccp does because time zones are actually the worst part about the game right confirmed yeah. especially like, when I... we then hit the uh, daylight saving time and then my brain just breaks all right well anyway so talking in stations again endorsing uh some of our subject matter experts they're not really crew they're not necessarily doing the ins and outs of talking in stations but they are the people that bring in the knowledge uh, in a big way in addition to talking in stations. So uh, that's why we're putting them forward and uh, hope that you consider them uh, whatever order you want, um, but prioritize your way. Just uh, we recommend that you put them on your, on your ballot in there somewhere. Okay. Thanks for that. Next, we're going to talk about uh, the Academy. This is um, a new website that you can check out that is essentially for new players that are looking for a profession or a pathway through EVE Online. So they get into the game and they do tutorials or they do some uh, initial missions or the um, Sisters of EVE arcs, these kinds of things. And then they run out of direction and they haven't joined a player corporation or maybe the corporation doesn't offer them direction. And this is for those players that are looking for a profession that need more information. And this is a website that gives players uh, a lot of information but not too much at first. You don't want to drink out of a fire hydrant, right? Uh, to get going and get on a path uh, to accomplishing something. And it's also useful for players who want to change professions because they're new players in the new profession. So uh, we're going to talk to CCP about that with one of the um, main authors of the material, Ashy or Ashley. Uh, she is known as Ashy in Space. That's her blog. And uh, also from Eve Uni, we have Mike. And so he's on there as well, talking about the new player experience. All right, let's, uh, let's go to that video. We'll be back after the video to talk about this week's news with the crew. Thanks. Welcome to Talking In Stations. We're here with CCP uh, talking about the, well, everybody knows it's called the new player experience, but we're going to maybe coin a new phrase today. By the end of the show, uh, we're going to talk about new players and some of their challenges and some of the things CCP are doing to actually make it more pleasant for them. And for that, we have a CCP Aurora from the community. Oh, hello, everyone. From yes. the community team, is that right? That is correct. I'm from the community team, although I've been doing quite a bit of work on this uh, new Eve Academy project. Great. So bringing my my old skills to to bear for for this. Right. And uh, we have CCP Tiger Shark. How are you? Hi. Yeah. Doing great. How are you? Great. And we have Ashy from Ashley, actually, from Ashy in Space. Are you Ashy? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. 
All right. And from Eve University off screen, uh, we have Mike Kingswell. How are you, Mike? Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Our pleasure. And Aurora mentioned it. We're here to talk about the Academy and we'll talk all about that and stuff. But before we get into the Academy and what it is, let's find out a little bit about new players and what are some of the struggles they have when they arrive at a game as big and complicated and uh, dangerous as EVE Online. Aurora, is there any insight that you guys have about um, new players and what kind of help they need? Yeah, so CCP spent uh, the last few years kind of gathering data on new players and the struggles that they have. Um, there's actually been some outside research done, uh, even hyper-specifically, to kind of plot the, the path that many new players take and where they fall out. And we have these graphs of, you know, the, the fall-off. Many of you have seen the, the funnel charts that we've shown at previous uh, discussions. And we can see that the falloff for new players tends to be pretty large uh, in the early game. Um, and improving those retention rates is obviously makes the game better for all of us. So the the number of issues that face new players is a really, uh, it's a very wide pool. So I, it would be really nice if it was just a couple, couple issues like, ah, oh, yeah, we just need to fix this thing. We're good. Um, but it's, it's not because as we all know, EVE is hyper-complicated. There's a ton to it. And it's pretty easy to scare those players away um, because they kind of get thrown into the deep end with no great guidance as to exactly, you know, how do I get started doing these things that I've heard about and sound cool, but I don't know how to get into yet. And if, for, unfortunately for a lot of people, they just, you know, they aren't able to figure it out, they get frustrated and they move on. And so that is probably one of the largest contributing factors among many. What do I do next kind of thing after the tutorials? All right, Tiger Shark, and this is something you're looking at specifically now in your new role as, uh, what's the actual title or? Brand manager. Okay, brand manager for EVE Online. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. can you talk about what Aurora just said, like some of the challenges that new players have when they come in? And Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sort of always identify with it as as, um, as a blank canvas. Um, you know, nothing scares an artist more than a blank canvas. And, and Eve can be a little bit of, of that. It has just unparalleled freedom and it has a lot to offer to players. You can do, you know, anything you dream of, really. And that's super... Uh, awesome but it's also scary and and you know it's hard to know what to do um so i think that's sort of the main struggle and and also where to look for information and sort of how do i find out what i want to do in in eve so that's i think the the main pain point we are we are looking at um with mm. Right now. Yeah. Well, that, that concept of a white canvas is a really good one. I think you're absolutely right. Because EVE Online is a sandbox game. You create your own virtual world. It's almost a metasphere in some ways. Um, it can be hard to know what to do next because you're not really told like what to do next. You have to decide what to do next. But you don't know all the questions to even ask to figure out what it is you want to do. And exactly. uh, yeah, in the past, CCP has basically said, look, find some people and they'll bring you into their world, into their story, into their fun, and that will become yours. And then you can do your 
own. But um, as an individual, I think it would be hard to figure out what to do just on your own looking at a blank canvas like that. But for that sort of a problem, we had a really great group for many years now, Eve University. And uh, Mike, you're from Eve University. What were some of the things that you guys do to help uh, new players um, try to get acclimated, I guess? Well, basically, as you mentioned, one of the big issues for a brand new player that we face is just getting a starting point, knowing where to even begin to start tackling one of the great aspects that are out there. So we try to provide new players these starting points, be it simple, small things like offering suggestions on a small skill plan that gets them out there flying a lot of different chips so they can try different roles in the game, be it PvE, be it PvP. We offer little help along to stop the grind in the beginning. We offer skill book reimbursements, so basically all their skill books are for free. We get them cheap learning implants, so they learn faster. All of that to simply get them going and get them started. But as you mentioned, it's mostly about finding the right group to fly with. So we hope to provide them with a community full of different opportunities with having campuses all around space, be it high sec, low sec, null sec, wormholes. We have incursion groups going out. So basically, we want to provide the starting point for them to have a go-to so they can get going and enjoy the game and find their way of playing the game. Yeah. And well, the most famous aspect would probably be the prov uh, providing of knowledge with our wiki and our classes and stuff. Yeah, terrific wiki. And you also have classes which you are in charge of. Uh, what are some of the classes that you guys offer for players? Some samples? I mean, just yesterday I held an introduction to weapon systems where I went into the different turret mechanics, how missiles work, all that stuff that makes fun in big explosions, how it actually works in the game, to just give the new players a grasp of those systems. My personal favorite is always and will always be the introduction to Logi, simply because I'm a Logi pilot and we are the best. <laughs> but in general, we have a great variety of introductory courses. And this month alone, I can tell you, we are averaging about more than one class a day. Wow, that's a lot. I remember I was in Evuni a long time ago when I started uh, in 2008 or nine. I forget. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, those... we're watching our alumni proudly. Yeah, those, cl those uh, classes were a real draw. I think I learned... Um electronic warfare because it was really hard to understand and it was really neat the way they just said okay green color means galente rust color means you know and all of a sudden it made sense you know the color the colors on those things so those classes are a nice draw i'm glad you guys are still doing them and doing so many of them that's a lot one a day well ashy you were once a new player since you're now a ceo of a wormhole corporation what was it like when you started uh Tell us a little bit about your first few days. Uh, well, it's been so long. It was back in 2012, so I can't really remember my first few days. But I do remember that I eventually burnt out and quit because I didn't know what to do, which is <laughs> ironically exactly what EVE Academy would have addressed. Um, I remember back then I did missions. I got myself a Drake. Um, I didn't really play with anyone. I just quit the game back then. And... Even even then, even though I'm the sort of person who enjoys reading through uh, EVE Uni and just reading through tons of wikis and digging through information, I, I love that. I would still be somewhat lost about what exactly I could do and you know where I could go next. Um, and yeah, yeah, and, and without this 
resource without a good resource I at first I just yeah I just fell over and quit Eve eventually well this new before coming back yeah this new so this is funny because you're one of the the uh creators and um designers of the academy um you're not you don't work for ccp or player but um were you when you were designing some of the stuff were you thinking about um, how to talk to your former self like when you were starting out because you have a blog that does a lot of this kind of stuff on its own right ashy dot yeah yeah uh, yeah, so I'm quite familiar with writing guides. Um, most of what I did with, with the team uh, on EVE Academy was writing copy. Um, so writing the the guides themselves uh, on, on the, the pages and helping out with the scripts, although Aurora is amazing at those. And I, um, no, I, I didn't really think about it from a perspective of talking to myself because, it, again, it's it's been so long, but... In my time playing, I've met so many new players, whether I've just killed them in a Reddit site or I, I ran into someone in high tech who's maybe counts. a bit talkative. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you get from a lot of a lot of older players where we'll kill a newer player somewhere in Eve and then we'll end up talking to them and, and finding out You adopt them. <laughs> yeah, you either <laughs> adopt them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> One of my current directors in Foxhall is we, we killed him in Heron, I think, and adopted him. And yeah, now he's a director a year and a half later. That's fantastic. Yeah. Recruitment by Blaster. I think there somewhere in the world there must be cultures that uh, have done that in the past that Eve kind of emulates, right? Like you raid a village and you take their kids and raise them as your own or something. I think the Vikings were fairly well known for that in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not quite as friendly as this is so dark um all right so um tiger shark when you um how did this how did this project the academy arrive um to you like what did what did they what did you decide or what did they present you with to to accomplish because you're someone that accomplishes things right (laughs) i try to anyways yeah I mean the the cha- I mean I am completely familiar with the challenge of an uh, being a new Eve player because I'm just a perpetual new Eve player. I just never seem to get through that wall of of, of what to do, how to do it, where to go. I don't know. Just uh, and just you know time. Um, so the the goal for for the the page and the the goal that I sort of set myself was to understand the text that was written, understand the scripts that were written, um, make it clear and concise because um, you have to strike a balance of, of uh, giving enough information and not overwhelm the players um, with, with just too much um, that they can't, can't absorb it. Uh, so the, that was the, sort of the, the goal for, for us and to to also inspire people, to kind of give them something that inspires them to pursue a certain career path and, and you know, simplifying Eve down into four career paths was definitely not easy. Um, and, and it's a, quite a, a wide bucket that we, we cast these, these uh, careers in. Um, and there again, you don't want to go 
too broad. You don't want to have 10 because that's overwhelming. And you don't want to have two because that's just too, you know, that doesn't describe Eve that well. So it's a... Uh, it, it's striking, striking that balance of of um, <clears throat> having enough and and not too little and not too much, I guess. Oh, the Goldilocks. I, yeah, just <laughs> exactly. to respond to that real quick is I've read some really interesting studies um, that are um, psychological studies about um, choice paralysis, uh, which is a common thing. And I was in a previously I worked as a web designer, um, and so it. Choice paralysis is kind of a common thing when you're dealing with offering your clients multiple different options of things they can do. You put too many things on a screen or you, you just say, like, you can do everything. Then people have a lot more trouble making a choice than when you go, you can do one of these three things and then let them discover other things later on. So the optimal number of things, the optimal number of choices that you can present to a person has always been just sort of an interesting thing to me. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that sort of thing factors into the, the decisions made for how we're presenting the information here as well. Interesting. I wonder if there is a magic number like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 42, you know, or... It depends slightly on context, and uh, but it tends to be between, if I remember correctly, like three and six. So, oh. somewhere. Cool. Did that... Uh... Did that inform some of your decision making there, Tiger Shark? Some of that kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> but also, you know, you have to take into account the just the game itself and 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 how people are playing it. Like, you cannot force. Yes, we're going to have six uh, or five. You have to also think. Just use the the framework that that you have in the game. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, by the way, that's brilliant because. Um, as we all know, the players that have played this game for a long time stick around a long time because there's so much to, un to learn and to unravel. And even players who've been around for years still feel like they're, they don't know everything. Uh, so uh, to make it brief is one of the hardest jobs around to say, here's enough to understand that there's more, but here's enough to understand something. Uh, so you picked a few professions to start with. Uh, can you guys talk about the choices there? I'm happy to talk about those. So the four paths for anyone who hasn't looked at Eve Academy um, are a PVE combat path, uh, which is has been dubbed Enforcer, uh, an exploration path, dubbed Explorer, uh, industry, mining, all of that sort of business type of work uh, under Industrialist, and then Soldier of Fortune, which covers uh, more PVP, breaking out of high sec early for those people that particularly want to uh, kind of get out uh, and make a mess in the sandbox. I think that path uh, particularly speaks to them. So in a sense, we just tried to, uh, we vaguely grouped the types of activities a lot of players will do. And I think a lot of players who watch this will say, ah, yes, you know, I'm probably fit most into this bucket. None of these are prescriptive. It's not like the if you pick one of these paths, like that's all you're, all you can do. But it helps to kind of if, you, if this is the area of the game that you're interested in, you're particularly interested in exploration, like let's talk about, you know, let's, let's introduce you to exploration. Here's how you scan. Here's how you hack. Here's how, you know, you're going to find a wormhole now, uh, sooner or later. 
exactly what is that and how do you interact with it? Um, let's say that you're looking for a little bit more excitement. These wormhole things are pretty cool. Like, how do you get into uh, running sleeper sites? How do you run escalations? All of these sort of things that kind of branch off of that path. And then we do that for each. So uh, the Enforcer PVE path starts out talking about missions, but then it goes into epic arcs. We're looking at uh, videos on the abyss. And then it even touches on, there's a little bit of crossover about scanning to show people how to get into combat sites and escalations. So each path is kind of designed to pick a thing that interests a person and then guide them through additional content that is related that other people who enjoy that thing will also probably like. So there was some research that was done uh, in the background that we've kind of incorporated into this. So we can actually, you can group people into cohorts um, a little bit by the type of content that they usually interact with. Um, and you can kind of figure out, you know, what, what content we might recommend to someone who's interested in this thing. Uh, so it helps to answer one of those initial questions for new players, which is, and I'm sure that Mike can speak to this, uh, seeing this quite often, is when you bring a new player into a corporation, um, one of the most common and unfortunately difficult to answer questions that you get is, okay, so what do I do next? Um, so, you know, they finish the Sisters of Evark. Okay, so what do I do next? And they get all sorts of responses. So some people will be like, you go do this thing. And other people will be like, well, it's a sandbox. So here's literally everything that you can do. And it's, we're, trying to, we're trying to strike a balance between those two. So these are all of the things that are related to the things that you've shown interest in. And here's how you can try to start exploring those. Oh, I see. So it's, here's more branches on the tree that you're climbing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very yeah. much like that. We also we also decided to include kind of um, goals in in quite simple you know uh, easy goals. And then we had some medium and harder ones to to help people also maybe okay I want to try that so they have something concrete to do in game whether it's just you know even if it's just fitting a ship or killing five NPCs or whatever it's it is something that that is what do I do next? Um, answer that, answers that question for them. Yeah. Did you find that's uh, as important as, because I had a friend that said, I didn't know what to do next. And he left the game. Actually, I have two. Uh, I didn't know yeah. them before they played. I just compared experiences with them. But have you found that that's a big deal? Uh, in my experience, that is a very big deal. Um, I was, for those who don't know, I was previously in Brave and I did a lot of work with Brave Dojo. So helping new players was kind of my thing. Dojo was and, a training section of Brave. For yeah, yeah, it's the, the new player training group. So um, one of the the common questions that was kind of a litmus test of whether or not a new player would stick around, and this is purely anecdotal, but when an, when a player would ask, "Okay, so what do I do next?" I would say that their chances of sticking with the game through the next month dropped immediately by fifty percent when they asked that question. And then if you gave them some options and they were like, not really sure, their chances probably dropped to 1%. So that was something that I saw a lot of. And so it's that goal setting challenge that makes EVE particularly difficult for new players. So the, the players that do stick around with EVE are the ones who've learned how to set goals for themselves or have joined a corporation that they're willing to accept goals from. So it's one of the two. So they're getting goals from one way or the other, whether they're 
self-created or uh, handed to them by their allies. Um, we're trying to help improve that. I mean, the ability to set your own goals is an incredible, and everybody watching this who has managed to do that should be super proud of themselves. <laughs> but for everybody else, you know, that's maybe 20% of the population. Um, for everybody else that struggles with that, you know, they hit the sandbox and they're like, I've, I've shoveled a couple times, but I don't really know what to do. Should I build a castle or should I build that sort of thing? I think these helping them. Add... Oh, sorry. Uh, helping them to figure out, like, here are some goals that you can choose from that relate to the things you've done is a really good way to help hook them in uh, to the point where hopefully they can learn to start setting those goals themselves. Mike? I was just trying to add that, uh, beat even the simplest goals, they add this certain sense of achievement for a new player that is intrinsically important to keep them sticking around. And if you feel this achievement by achieving the goal that you set yourself or that others set for you, that's how you get hooked. And it's hard to get something like this in a sandbox. So if it's either yourself setting them or the corporation or now the academy suggesting them, that's another avenue of getting this sense of achievement to actually get something done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something if you're if you're ever in high sec during one of the events, like the, the current one that's ongoing, there's a ton of activity with people scrambling, trying to get into these uh, new resource war sites that have been kind of reworked and brought back. Um, is that's kind of what you're seeing there. You'll see a lot of new players that are trying to figure out how to achieve the uh, goals that are set for them in the event screen on the left-hand side of their screen, because it's right there. And it's a goal that they don't have to figure out for themselves. It's just given to them. So there's a lot of energy that goes into creating your own goal. And if you can see a goal very clearly, it's like, ah, yes, that's a goal I should go try to do. And then it results in you know, a lot more interaction with yeah. those uh, players who are trying to do this. So more runway for you too, to stick around, right? Because you, uh, you have a thing that you're working towards. So there's always a reason to come back. Uh, it just must be critical for what you guys are doing uh, for new players. So a, a little side question here. Is there any deep programming that you have to do for players that have played other video games that are experienced with other video games, even other MMOs, and they come to EVE Online and it's not... Um, a playground made for them it's more of a sandbox is there some way that you have to do you even have to face that challenge or is that not a consideration i i think that's it's partially considered um it's we have to we have to deal with the expectations that players from other games uh come to eve online with so there's a lot of players who have played other mmos or other other games that are very guided in what you're supposed to do. You know, you have quest markers over the over overheads and that sort of thing. And so what you need to do is just soften the blow so that they have a longer, a longer runway to uh, start to learn how the Eve universe works for them. So if you instead of, you know, it, we're not going to put a quest marker on everything, obviously, but if there's, you know, a longer, a longer period where they're having these, those guided steps that they're really familiar with before they hit endgame, as many MMO players will be familiar with. Um, Eve's endgame right now starts in about 15 minutes after you boot up the game. Uh, but, for, but for everyone else, uh, you have to kind of, you know, slowly introduce them to the universe uh, in order to get them, build up the, the comfort level uh, in order to 
deal with that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a part of probably part of the clarity is uh, just uh, allowing them to know um, there is some, there are some paths and they can go really deep. Otherwise they'll be trying to take a sip of water from a fire hydrant or something. It's just too much all at once. Uh, so Eve Uni has dealt with this for a long time. Uh, you guys put out classes and um, I get, how long have you been with Eve Uni, Mike? Had my three year university birthday this month, Link. Uh, okay. Have you been playing for three years or is that just Eve Uni? Uh, yeah, actually I've started a, about a month before I joined Uni because my friends that I started playing with stopped playing because what do we do? Same and thing. I like spaceships and I like explosions. So I stuck around, but again, started looking for a group to learn anything because yeah, it was hard starting out. Right. So the, um, I guess my question for you is, does, are you finding people too, uh, like Aurora was saying with the, uh, brave dojo that people that didn't have that next goal set that it was a big problem for them to stick around. Does that track with your experience with people? Definitely. Um, it's for me, the litmus test is how much do they engage in the possibilities that we offer them? If a person joins Eve university and instantly starts looking for one of the campuses and Hey, which one is the right one for me? I'm like, yeah, this, pers uh, this person is engaged. They want to learn more. But we also have a ton of people that join Eve Uni and just hang around for a few weeks and then simply fall off the grid. Mm -hmm. And that would be generally my biggest advice for any new bro. Friendship is the best ship in Eve. Find a group to fly with and then you can share the fun and you can find your way of playing the game with others. Yeah. And that's and the second part of that question for me was, are there people that come in with different expectations because they're coming in from different games? Do you deal with that at all? Do you see any of that? Like, Hey, this, this doesn't work. Like I think it should work. I mean, yeah, Eve is different than any other MMO. Let's just say the way of playing the game. You don't have per se the tank, the damage dealer, the logic, uh, well, the, the healer, we have logic. Um, yes. But we try to break it down as much as we can with our beginner classes. We try to break the complex system down to an easy to understand level to introduce them to this different kind of playing the game. Right. That's funny. Yeah, you do have the logic. So, um, Ashley, when you uh, uh, wrote a lot of this stuff, uh, I'm sure they supplied you with like what what groups to take on and stuff. Um, what were some of the considerations when you were putting stuff together, putting your material together, building the site, the academy. Yeah, so like Tiger Shark said, a lot of it was making sure that it's quite concise and clear and trying to get the essence of what any particular objective would give you, how exciting it would be, uh, at the same time as being informative and not blowing someone's head off with just so much information. Like that's going to happen when they undock anyway. Yeah. So yes, from a fire hydrant, like you put it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that, and um, and we had a bit of a skeleton structure for each different uh, pathway that I'd work through, and, and just try and get in a sip from that fire hydrant of every little bit that I could, and then we iterated on that and took things out, added things in, moved things around, and 
the place it's at right now looks pretty good, I'd say. And we're just going to keep on working on it, uh, keep it up to date. That's really... Yeah. That was actually my next question for Tiger Shark is like, what's the future of the project? Is this just the beginning or is this uh, something you're going to wait to see how well it works and then decide if you're going to do more? We are betting on this being a good resource um, and this is just the beginning. Uh, we are definitely going to be adding uh, content, adding uh, videos, uh, the tutorial videos. Um, and, uh, you know, our or my goal is to kind of establish a cadence of regular review and hopefully enlist um, some of the community in, in helping us out with that, uh, volunteers or, or something like that, um, so that we have kind of fixed points where we take a look at it and then, you know, we leave it or fix it and we leave it for a while and then we take a, another look at it again. I think that's a more sustainable way of approaching uh, keeping it up to date. Um, and also maybe just, you know, don't get caught up in the, in the details. Um, I want to take an example of the, the scanning, uh, basics video. I think it was that we, I think yeah. we recorded it like a week before they updated and switched the, the screens around. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I could have said, yeah, let's re-record it and delay blah, blah, blah. But it's understandable, even if it's, it, it has just switched. So it's, it's also balancing that of like. How important is it? Is it understandable? Fine, we'll just take it in the next next batch. I think also by keeping it concise and curated um, will also help. This will never encompass all of EVE, and it's not meant to. This is not a replacement for EVE University or anything, any of the other amazing community resources that are out there. This is kind of meant to build a bridge to that so that people that want to dig deeper um, are able to dive into EVE University and, and, and those places. So I think those three things are, are kind of the key to, to making sure that we, we are able to, to maintain uh, EVE Academy up to date. Yeah. Will you grow into more professions as well, uh, or are you going to stick with these initial branches and just grow those? I think these are the kind of four professions that encompass a lot of EVE. Um, so we are planning to, to stick with those uh, for the foreseeable future anyways. Um, it we, yeah, I mean, what I also wanted to add is that we definitely want to be sort of uh, encourage the community to, you know, take a look at, at the site, see if they want to create some really cool resources that are maybe career specific or, or action specific and and maybe you'll be uh, added to to eve academy it would need to be a very large paradigm shift uh, for us to make a new path i think at this point because if you look at the the generalization of each path you know you've got like very general pve path very general like business path very general pvp path very general exploration path and those tend to be like the major buckets that people operate in so if a new bucket were to emerge, I, I think we would ob you're, you're obviously, yeah, it, it would be a very big deal first, uh, first off. But like, what's the six toe it's... that's growing on my foot? <laughs> what did that get yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, anything new to come would mean a very major shift in EVE, which totally possible in the future, but uh, not, not immediately foreseen. And for new activities, they can probably fit into one of these buckets. So for activities that change or that sort of thing, we can always shuffle things around as needed. Yeah, I guess you you really just never know, right? Because there may be some kind of meta, 
metaverse role that pops up, you know, like e-journalist or something, and uh, it ends up some kind of fusing with the game in some way that's legitimate, like maybe a shuttle that doesn't get destroyed, and I'm lobbying on air. I shouldn't do that, but uh, <laughs> kidding. All right. Um, right. So then you're going to grow these. So the for the future of this, you're going to look at it and you're going to look for some volunteer work. Is that going to come out of the um, the volunteers that already volunteer for EVE Online, the ISD? Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. That would be amazing. Something like that. Yeah, that'll be our, one of our first resources to go to for those reviews. Yeah. And that program is still going. And I think uh, you can volunteer to help out EVE Online in four different ways, I think it was. Uh, I can't quite remember the number of them, but yeah, there's a, a number of different places uh, that people can volunteer for if they're interested. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, the CCL team, which kind of does forum moderation. Uh, there is uh, NEC team, which does like reporting and world news and uh, assistance with the lore and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's the star team, which you'll see in uh, rookie help chat channels in game. Uh, helping new players. So they'll probably be the ones that will talk to you first uh, regarding, uh, you know, reviewing these pages. And hmm. there's probably other teams. Oh, there's uh, the Bug Hunter team. Um, so right. the the Bug Hunters are usually active on CC. They get a cockroach and they get to help us locate bugs, What's which a, is always much appreciated. Please explain a cockroach because people are going to think that they get an actual cockroach. Uh, yeah, we bad. just send them a bug through the mail. It's, it's a whole cockroach, and we're like, if it has eggs, okay. like, please don't take it out of the packaging. Um, no, so the cockroach is a is a QA testing ship. So it actually does look like a golden cockroach in-game. Uh, it's quite impressive, but it's got eight high slots, eight mid slots, eight low slots, and insane stats and can fit literally anything. Um, so it allows you to recreate all sorts of uh, test conditions without having to get a very specific ship. So it helps the QAs just kind of test things a little bit faster and the bug hunters replicate bugs without making things quite so complicated. So. Yeah. By the way, that was a pop quiz and I did not intend to pop that on you, but you did great. You uh, named all the four sections and yeah, total pass. Good for you. All right, cool. Well, let's talk about, um, let's see, we have some questions here from our staff. Some of the things that new players are trying to do that are coming in is one is they want to find what's next, which you guys have now supplied this with. Oh, actually, I know what I wanted to ask about the uh, DCP has tried to do this before, right? Like trying to get retention for EVE Online is a big, big deal. It always has been. They've done things like have an EVE wiki. So what what were some of the... Oh, Mike just dropped out. He'll be back in a second, I think. What were some of the... Um, just leave him in there. What were some of the um, adjustments that you guys have made historically? If you know that, because you guys probably, uh, this is a, a fresh new uh, thing for you guys to do. But uh, is there any historical information you can give me on some of the things that have been tried and why this is different? Sure, so I, I can speak. Oh. I mean, I remember Eve Wiki, uh, and it was quite, quite detailed. Um, so it was a lot of effort to maintain. And, and um, I think. Uh, you know, keep keeping it high level and concise is is the the way to go here, and more leveraging um, the community uh, resources to to meet that uh, gap. In a sense, if University already does the highly informational wiki um, to the point where, while we could perhaps try to duplicate those efforts, um, you know, 
I'm sure that Mike can speak to the large number of people that are actively editing the Eve Uni Wiki. Um, and even I go there uh, sometimes, and I've made some recent updates over the last year, uh, just like, oh, hey, this changed. Um, let's let's get that update in there. Uh, but it takes a lot of hands. And so you need to have a, you know, a lot of trust that goes into editing the system and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it takes a lot of oversight. There's a ton of information and keeping it up to date is a huge challenge, uh, which it didn't work out previously for CCP with the, the previous wiki. But that shouldn't be a problem with this site because it's a super narrow amount of curated information. So this is very, very much just aimed at those first learning moments of new players and aspirational stuff. So it's not an encyclopedia of how everything works. Right. But it almost already exists. So. Yeah. Well, and it also is, um, again, it's like you have to know what you're looking for to find it. And even if you know what you're looking for, a wiki sometimes can hide it from you. It's hard to actually search the wiki properly. You get either too much information on searches or not specific enough or... Yeah, or if if we take uh, Eve University pages, for example, Eve University is a fantastic resource, um, but sometimes a new player will come along who is like, hey, how does this thing work? And they just get linked an Eve Uni page with like, look it up for yourself. Um, so it's kind of an RTFM situation. And that new player opens it and they see, you know, it's like you have to scroll through multiple pages. And if if we look at the uh, the the page on, I think, tracking, uh, for example, is one of my favorite pages, partly because it contains highly mathematical equations um, yeah, about like exactly how this thing works, which that sort of information is, A, it's awesome that it's available, uh, but at the same time, throwing that sort of content to a new player uh, can put them into a state of shock and then they disappear. So we're trying to kind of bridge that ground where it's like, an, Instead of linking them a page that, you know, literally has uh, college level mathematics on it. Yeah. Here, you know, here's a starter guide that's super simple. It'll take you five minutes and you'll, you'll hopefully know how to, how to get started doing that thing. Well, I always thought Eve was, I used to say, um, I play Eve because it's the professionals game. Like once you finish playing video games, you play Eve online because that is the top the top competitive atmosphere in like you know your mental capacity because you get the leverage in your real life right uh, other games you leverage in your skill that you've practiced but in eve online you get the leverage in who you are uh, and that's a whole different level of competition and it, you know, it becomes a lot more personal too because that's that's you that's not able to compete for whatever reason because EVE Online takes so many different skills. You have to be, in, on the one hand, charismatic if you want to be a leader. On the other hand, you have to have a great idea of situational awareness and quick thinking if you want to be a fleet commander. Uh, if you want to be a logistics person, you have to have some pretty good, uh, let's just call it uh, spreadsheet skills or something to make sure that you're not losing uh, all your money in your endeavors. So it takes a lot of, um, and then let's not even talk about third-party app building and uh she you're familiar with wormholes being able to create software that helps them navigate the dark world so there's just a lot you bring to the table and the level of people you're dealing with are very smart and um i always tell this story but one of my favorites 
moments was seeing three or four people uh, help this one guy who asked for just a little bit of algebra help for his daughter who had a test and he couldn't figure it out. So he just asked in uh, one of the NPC channels and there was like four guys saying like, yeah, well, what you want to do in geometry is, and then all these guys were teaching him how to do math uh, over the chat channel. And I thought, I'm in the right place. I like these guys. They're helpful and smart. So, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And that's, so I think when you come to EVE Online, you're like, you're ready to research. You're ready to tr treat it like a college class or a university class. And so on some level, the, uh, the wiki is, can serve that kind of purpose because you're ready to research. Uh, I, I'm sure people print out books, they listen to podcasts, or they just are ready to research to get better at EVE Online. But that's not everybody, is it? That's not even... No, it's, not, it's it's definitely only only a, a segment of the population. Because like we discussed before, people coming in from other games with very different expectations don't necessarily have the same highly professional outlook as, as you have. And so perhaps they'll develop that one day, which would be awesome. Um, but not everybody does. There's some very highly casual players that just like really like spaceships and watching explosions. And they don't necessarily need the, the super hardcore life skills either. Um, so, you know, making sure that both audiences are, are cared for is kind of our job. Um, and then just for either, either side of that spectrum, making sure that they have like clear, concise intro information uh, that helps them understand the basics. And then, you know, you give them where to look next. That's kind of the whole goal of the Academy. And I think it serves both parties quite well. I agree. That's what, uh, that's what I think you meant, Tiger, a little bit at first, but definitely like, hey, there's more to it. And then, Ashley, you put in a lot of resources uh, that people can go to that are that will amplify um, their learning if they want to. Like, right, there's different sections to this, to each path. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the resources were through the community team, who are lovely, because I don't know a lot of the streamers out there, so that was great. But... I think what's really great about going through the academy is when you find a section that you like, you might read maybe a paragraph or two on abyssal sites and you think, oh, that's really cool. Um, you'll watch a video maybe when that's out and you want to learn more and you just scroll to the bottom and there'll be links to streamers for abyssals. There'll be YouTube videos on abyssal sites, guides on abyssal sites. And the same thing applies to anything. And you say you want to do invention or you want to learn more about wormholes and i think it's it's fantastic and eve academy really i would say augments the community resources that are out there and working together it's it's a really really solid way for new players to to jump into new eden yeah despite uh, their level have you guys thought about um certifications would ccp have any role in that or is that something that players would have to make on their own to say like hey this is a trained pilot they're they're like uh hireable i think that's an awesome idea i vaguely remember this coming up in discussions uh we didn't we didn't want to hold back you know the what you know, getting good information out to people was our first priority, which is why this is released now and in beta, even though we don't have all the videos uh, ready just yet, uh, they are coming um, and will continue to come. Um, I, that would be a super cool idea. I think it would probably require to be particularly uh, 
good integration. It would it probably require some sort of in-client integration first. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Is that something that is that something you can uh, weigh into though to be able to um, to make that decision on what is trained and what's not trained for players? I've always wondered about that that relationship between what CCP can do and say here's the uh, here's the world and the players saying here's the meaning of the world. Um, I've always found that I want CCP to weigh in and say, here's an official training guide. Uh, and here's a stamp that says that you've done it. Therefore you're qualified. And, um, but at the same time, I wonder if CCP is like, well, we can't really make judgments like that on what qualified means, but this is that gray area where, yeah, this person knows what tracking is. They did a tracking tutorial and they know what it is. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess we would have to do tests then, maybe, yeah. or uh, it, it's a yeah, it's a complicated complicated subject because just like uh, anyone can kind of click on Udemy and and go through some courses and and say they have done a course, but they might not have learned anything. Um, so you know, right. giving out a certification puts a certain amount of responsibility on the person or the entity giving out. The certification that the person knows actually what they're doing did they pass the course you know what i mean so mike do you have any certifications from eve uni do you graduate yes, people um if you are engaged enough in the uni you can graduate from freshman to sophomore and then you even get the graduate medal at a certain point when you engage enough content and prove a certain knowledge of at least an aspect of your game Okay, And have been in the past actually uh, corporations that gave preferential recruitment to graduates of EVUNI. Well, I, I know that from uh, when we would get applicants who came from EVUNI to Brave, we were always super happy to take them on board. So well, it was, it was definitely a, a good mark on the record. Yeah, it was a plus, right? And then I kind of feel like if CCP were to give a plus, like that would be... For, for any corporate CEO would be like, oh, look, they're certified for, that they've done these classes and or tested or quizzed through the stuff. And in fact, it I might be. I think it's a cool idea. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think, right, it also might help in other ways too. Like uh, somebody comes into the game acting like um, uh, they don't know anything or whatever and... Um, well, never mind. I was going to get into detecting spies and all that extra gameplay that's in there. Like to have to put more man hours in front of spies, I think would be a, a good thing. Because I think, that's, what a CEO I think that's actually about. why some corporations try fairly hard to, or they they try to request that a player. For those corporations that recruit new players, they try to make sure that those new players have completed the SOE uh, arc at least. Oh, okay. So that's kind of a stand-in for that. Um, yeah. Or, or at least have some clear activity. So a, a lot of these corporations, and I was a recruiter for Brave, so I was I was one of the people that was reviewing this for, for people, is you look at someone and it's like, have they done more than 10 minutes in a tutorial is what you're looking for. Um, right. And so that was kind of your, your super base level. Uh, did the spy put in enough effort? Yeah, exactly. Like put some options yeah. in front of them. 
you're going to spy, you're going to spend some time cultivating a spy character. It's not just an instant, you know, burn and create a new one. Yeah, it is. You have to work for it first. Yeah, spend some you hours it doing it. Yeah, build some history. And, and it's an ecosystem because uh, CEOs are looking for reliable people that aren't going to destroy their corporation. And, uh, you know, to be able to trust the membership that you have can build relationships faster and so on and so forth. But um, what, can, what can I say? It's a complicated game. But uh, I like the idea of CCP kind of putting in some uh, some really nice education like you guys have with the, with the Academy for players to get in there and get involved. And... Um, so forth. Uh, okay, just one last uh, question here. Uh, and that is, uh, since we were talking about new players, I, I did want to throw this question out to see what you guys thought, but how does a new player, let's say people who are watching this are new players and are kind of interested in joining corporations, what can, how can they actually groom themselves to be asked to join a corporation? Well, as, as we just discussed, they need to have some base level of activity for most groups, except Pandemic Horde, who will take literally anyone, and they're a ton of fun. So, I mean, by all means, uh, people can join that. Um, they need to be able to take on goals at the very least uh, and go out and do things. Um, and they need to be active and engaged and like interested in learning and engaging with the world. So there's a lot of a lot of new players who apply to a corporation. So that, this is something that you'll see relatively often um, where a new player will they'll finish the tutorial and they'll be like, maybe, they, maybe they've done a, a career agent um, and then they're just kind of sitting in a station for a couple hours feeling bored and then they apply to a corporation, uh, which is not the best look uh, when you're trying to find a group to fly with because that, per that is a person that's clearly already difficult to engage. Um, and so players who are, you know, if, if they're, they're trying to, if they're, they're trying to look good for a corporation, they need to effectively have their own life. Um, it's almost like space tender. Uh, where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's better than I call it space grinder all the time by mistake, but uh, I, I meant tender, but go ahead. Yeah. Either one works. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of like that. I mean, you need to look like a, a, a full and interesting person um, for a lot of these groups to want you because they want, you know, someone interesting and engaged and willing to learn and all of that who uh, to join them. So. That's a uh, great dating advice too for uh, Yvonne Lightyear's <laughs> assistant. <laughs> life advice from yeah, CCB Aurora. Advice. Uh, I, I think that works. Yeah. All right. If so you have to bring something to the table, I think uh, I think that's the general idea. Yeah, yeah but at the same time, uh, this is a common misconception, uh, or it's it's a common difficulty, I suppose. A lot of new players will want to help to an extreme degree, and a lot of new player uh, corporations don't necessarily always have a great way for that person to help right away. Yeah. Um, so sometimes there are things. Uh, but it's something that's like, well, go grind ADMs, which some people are happy to do, but that's kind of a, a tricky thing. So the best way that a new player can help their new corporation is to become engaged with the game, want to continue playing regularly, and continue to grow into you know a pilot that can do a whole lot of things. Like that is exactly what almost every corporation out there wants for their new player uh, recruits. 
um, which is kind of a, a tricky paradigm because some players will join a corporation. They're like, I want to help. You're like, okay, help yourself. <laughs> and and help yourself. they're kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an awkward thing almost for these new players because they're, you know, these are, these are the helper type people that do this. And then they're like, wait, so, you know, it, it can almost feel like there's a little bit of like, do you not need my help or am, am yeah. I not useful yet? You know, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing to deal with uh, for the corporation. So for anyone in a corporation out there who can find a way to somehow fuse getting that player interested and helping themselves with telling them that they're helping the corporation, that mm -hmm. is ideal. Uh, group Group mining ops or like group low-level ratting or whatever is a good way to kind of sneak it in or you're actually helping them but you tell them they're helping you a good start oh i like that ashley what's your experience with this what would you recommend yeah so for me it's all about the human contact really above pretty much anything else and i don't take on that many brand new players mm -hmm. to fox holders we've got slightly higher skill requirements these days but still the people that i do bring in including the slightly lower sp players I don't have a formal interview wisdom where I say, oh, do you have this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do that? What do you want to do? I, I ask them, you know, hey, what are you all about? Who are you? What kind of person basically. are you? Right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. when you have a, a job interview or something and they say, oh, it's just going to be a, just an informal little chat. And it really is like that for me where I just want an informal chat with people. And I want... I want to find people who are social and who want to be engaged with me and my group and who I could say that I'm friends with at some point later down the line. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, yeah, Eve really has that whole friendship machine effect and it, it does work. I get the chance to build a recruitment uh, like application form again. I definitely want to add like the first question to be like, what's your best Eve pickup line? I think I think that's a good metric. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. I was about to say, if she wants to have that question, she should answer it first. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Hold on. What is what is my best one? Because I have a couple. Phoebe, uh, are you a DED site? Because you are a ten out of ten. Oh my god! <laughs> one down. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to think about. Uh, I'm gonna have to think about wild. Uh, all right, so um, Tiger, uh, where can people find this uh, resource? Well, it's easily accessible from our main page. It has. Um, if you just go to eonline.com, there's a in the top nav. There's a beginner guide. It says, um, but it's also just eonline.com/slash. Eve Academy or Eve Dash Academy, I think. It Great. Is. is there a way to it from inside the client, or do they need to go out and find it? Um, now, uh, currently, I think it's still running. Uh, we put it in the sort of in-game news window, uh, and that would lead you outside of the client. Um, once that, you know, we can't have that all the time, so um, I don't know how we're gonna kind of plug that into the game. That's definitely. One other thing that's on the on the drawing board, um, but it's you know it's in the launcher as well. There's a launcher banner uh, that links to it, so it's, it should be yeah. quite easily accessible. Um, we will be adding the tutorial videos into the game as well. 
Um, Into the agency we, window, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, and we already have the academy, the suggested academy fittings in the community fittings window. So we're kind of trying to connect the dots um, uh, and, and actively kind of working on figuring out the best way to to connect connect that path. Yeah. It looks like through different areas, uh, not just one. Yeah. Which makes sense because this, this website seems like it's a collection of a lot of different parts of the game that are coming out to the internet. So yes. you can do it. And it looks very mobile friendly, which is kind of nice because uh, people are on the run a lot. So that works out too. Okay. Last and question. And for people with a single screen, they can pull it up on their phone while they're still playing. Yeah, totally. Right. Like the, yeah. the sidekick uh, type thing. Yeah. Last question for you guys, and you don't have to answer it, but I'm, I'm curious about this. Because it comes up all the time. Uh, ganking players in high sec. Good for the game, bad for the game. Like, people, do they stick around? Are they retained after getting blown up? Or do they say, this sucks, I quit? Do you guys have so any there, evidence on it? There was an interesting study done, which I'm sure that other... You've heard mentioned before by CCP, which was where they studied the retention of people who suffered their first loss versus those who didn't. Um, and the data seemed to point towards that sudden initial hardship actually galvanizing those players and increasing their retention. There's a lot of difficult things that are maybe unanswered by the initial study. Um, like what is the, the aura effect of the psychological aura effect of the existence of ganking, which is a really difficult question to answer. Um, and it's not one that I'm going to claim to have answers for, uh, but it, people are very torn on this, on this particular issue. Uh, it is obviously, you can't go into new player systems and gank them, uh, including, I think the systems for the Epic, the sisters of Eve arc yeah. and the, so, you know, there's, just, there's some that's limits just not on it. allowed at all. Like you can't do that. Yeah. If you, long. if you go into the rules, it's, it, there's a effectively a rule that's like there's no new player griefing so uh, it's not you know we don't want people to just go make people's lives a pain before they understand the basics of the game but shortly thereafter it's kind of a, a thing that happens um but that said uh, whether the impact is net positive or net negative i'm not going to pretend to know I think it's also, uh, you know, there's no one size fits all. So it really depends on the person. Like for for one person, it would, you know, galvanize them and be like, ah, I'm going to beat this. Um, and for another person, it would just be like, I'm gone. So it's, uh, there's no no yeah. magic solution here. Yeah. I don't want to be the itsy bitsy spider that gets up the well and then gets washed down to do it all over again kind of thing. That's it. Yeah. It's actually something though that we use uh, for the magic moments program is it's one of the factors that's looked at for the GMs, which can, for those players that would take it as a negative thing where it might push them out, uh, they get flagged. Uh, they get a flag on their account that this is like magic moment eligible and the GMs can pick those up when they're able. And so a GM will suddenly like message this person and be like, Hey, we saw you just lost your first ship. Like, do you know why you died? Here's some free stuff to get you going again. And so it can actually take it and make it a very positive interaction. Um, one of the one of the most difficult things about ganking is that players don't understand why they died and what they could have done better, which kind of leads to it can lead to a feeling of frustration because like, how do I prevent that again? I just lost 
effort that I put into getting the ship. Um, and so having having the GMs message them to talk and be like, hey, so this was the situation. This is why and how things happened. Um, you know, here's here's some stuff. Get you back on your feet again. Here's a new venture uh, that can be very beneficial. And the we know for a fact that the people who are contacted by the Magic Moments programs with the GMs have just massively improved retention rates. Is that so, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That program does amazing things. Good and good. every so often, if you read Reddit or something like that, you'll see all, all these posts where it's like, uh, for somebody who was contacted, like, it was so cool. GMs reached out to me. Like, I was, I was feeling really frustrated with this thing. But then suddenly, like, fantastic program. I, I love it so much. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it was teased by some of the advanced players saying like, oh, look, CCP is doing grief counseling. But I love the fact that you've got some results out of it and saying, hey, we're ahead of the game. We're not, you know, we, we innovate retention. We don't uh, try to do what everybody else is doing to keep people around. Yeah, it's a it's a super cool program. Um, unfortunately, it's also manpower restricted, so we can't yeah. hit everyone. Uh, but if we, you know, get the chance to expand it anymore, like that's by all means. <laughs> all right. Well, it's been a nice talk uh, with you, Aurora. By the way, I thought when you said the aura effect, I thought is that the Aurora effect or aura? <laughs> I was like, is there an Aurora effect? Um. I, I, there is an aura effect, by the way, because what got me to stick around for the first 10 days was uh, listening to Aura talk to me uh, while I was going through some things. And I thought, oh, cool, I get a partner AI to hang out. Yeah, and that is, a, that is just going to improve a little bit. So there's yeah. a cool, cool things coming down the pipe for the, the Aura companionship. So. Yeah. Well, uh, Tiger Shark, do you have anything else that you wanted to make sure gets out there uh, for the players? Um, yeah, I mean, we want the community to use this uh, webpage to help new players, uh, but we also want their help in improving it. So, you know, there's a forum post that you can put comments on, create resources. I mean, the page is localized in, in uh, quite a few languages, and we would love to have career path-specific resources in every single language. Um, so yeah, we're just looking looking to the community to to help make this even even better. Yeah, Great. it is just a, just as a note to anyone who's immediately jumping out to start making uh, resources. It is super highly curated, and so we do have to be selective about the ones that we put on the page. So we apologize if we can't fit yours in there. Uh, but as always, even if it doesn't make the page, uh, it still helps new players. Um, so if you look at YouTube for even like the most general new player guides, all those videos have thousands of views uh, because you know it's something there's a lot of hunger for. Uh, whether or not it winds up on the Academy page. Great. Well, Mike, uh, Ashley, uh, Tiger Shark, CCP Tiger Shark, and CCP Aurora, thank you very much for this uh, hour uh, for new players and some of the stuff that you've put into the Academy. A really great new way of uh, looking at career paths and knowing what to do next for new players and also people who are transitioning to a different career inside of EVE Online. Highly recommended. And uh, please give feedback. And I love that it's highly curated so that it will be maintained in a good way. So it's it's great. It's a great answer to a long time question. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. 
Welcome back to uh, the live part of today's show on Talking in Stations. Uh, remind you that we just saw CCP uh, Aurora and CCP Tiger Shark, along with uh, Ashley from Ashy in Space and uh, Mike from uh, Eve University. And they were talking about the really cool website that CCP has put together for new players and for uh, players who are interested in following a career path. So check that out. The Academy is what it's called. And uh, joining me now is uh, Arcia, Suetonia, and Caleb. Uh, we are back to talk about this week's news. Okay, let's talk about Monday. We had uh, on Talking in Stations, if you haven't seen this video, very popular. And that is uh, Pro God versus Matani, what leaders are saying. And this is the series where I break down uh, the messaging coming out of the Imperium and coming out of uh, Legacy. Sometimes Pappy, there'll be other groups in there. But it's basically the two warring parties in Delve and how they're speaking to their guys and beyond what they're trying to say, what kind of uh, message they're trying to get out. Definitely our heavy hitter this week, right? Yeah, kind of a light week on news, right? Yeah, the, the numbers-wise, it's almost uh, double uh, all the other uh, products that we put out. So it was it was very popular. And it's also yeah. uh, quite interesting and, and slightly controversial. But uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Good. Okay. And then on Tuesday, we did a wake up, wake up. Our vendetta is tackled. And uh, that one, we, we actually talked about some of the bridges that were put in. And we talked about other stuff on these shows. But that one had such a great story at the end by uh, Shen, who is part of TIS. He's actually from Army of Mangoes, uh, a young man, new player, smart guy, and he told the story of what it was like when a Titan was tackled in Esoteria. And not only was the Titan tackled, but then a Vendetta got tackled too. And so they had to scramble in the middle of their night, basically, to save these ships, and they did. And it was a really exciting story. <clears throat> and I asked him, was it, were people freaking out? And he said, no. <clears throat> Everybody was professional and quiet until finally they knew that everything was safe and then everybody melted down into a huge amount of emotion and couldn't go back to sleep. So that was a good little story. Uh, also, we had um, Hateless was on that show too, which was really nice to hear his uh, perspective on some of the events that are going on. So that was Tuesdays called Wake Up Vendetta Tackle. Then on Wednesday, we did uh, What It's Like to Lose a Titan. And this show kind of came together uh, around Lieutenant Condor from Dreadbomb. And he was involved in a very risky raid that was super exciting. We actually caught it live and uh, it was a trap. They uh, were attacking the Amamaki Keep star, Dreadbomb was, or actually Wrecking Crew. And they were trapped by Nalsekia Shulpin and <clears throat> the uh, inhabitants of Amamaki, including... Um, uh, what is it? Uh, snuff. Gosh, I forgot their name. And they paid a price for it. They will think they lost uh, a few Titans. His was one of them. And we had him on the show right after that battle happened. This was about a month ago. And it was a very emotional experience. So we wanted to revisit with him now that he had some distance on it and he had uh, recovered by uh, being given an SRP Titan back and he was rebuilding it, the fit. Uh, and to see what it's what it's like to emotionally to lose such an investment and the reason i thought of this was because carneros described many times to me in the audience 
what it's like to lose a Titan. And it's a very emotional experience. It's a very bonding experience because there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going into that ship, maybe on like a frigate or other things. And I was fascinated with how uh, Carnero said that he felt closer to that ship, that the experience of losing it actually almost embedded it, it in him. So I thought that was interesting. And I, Condor says that that's what happened to him too. Go ahead, Arcia. I'm a firm believer that a ship doesn't actually exist until it explodes. Right. And the, uh, cause that's then you have a kill there. Philosophy right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Then you have the whole story of that ship and what it has done or what it failed to do. Yeah. The majority of losses of Titans though, are usually, uh, uh group losses, right? It's uh, yeah, exactly. very frequently that, they're, that they're SRP. So it's not a personal loss. It's more like, uh, I failed my people and, and, and that kind of emotion, I think. I think it's a big difference dying in a big battle where other people are dying. There's almost a group therapy that goes with that. But I think if you die in isolation or in a small group, it's a different, it's a different thing. Oh altogether. yeah, because yeah. then it's like well, that, you, got, you got caught, right? Yeah, it depends on what you died in in a small group. Like if you're just roaming around in T1 cruises and you're like, "Do you want to go deep on that material?" It's like you die you're not like upset but like if you're just kind of solo moving uh, uh a, a cap or a jump freighter or something and you do something less than smart and you die and die doing something stupid that you didn't choose yeah. to do th there's a difference between doing something stupid that you choose to do because it's hilarious and doing something stupid that you didn't choose yeah, to do Dying with the purpose of the ship rather than incidentally dying. Uh, well, it's it's a difference way. between losing it in, in uh, the, the M2 bloodbath, which I think is honorable, and, 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 and being uh, hot dropped by Rocket well, that and his been, friends, right? Well, well, that would have been frustrating because that was such a technical disaster that that would be no way to accept you, you lost Titan because you didn't get to participate at all in it uh, except to hit jump when uh, you were supposed to go in. But I think if you're in a big, let's say M2, the armor timer, where there's a, an actual slug fest, if you died in that, I think that's very satisfying. You did what you're supposed to do. You died with purpose. And a lot of people did. So there's kind of a no shame in it. Or so it doesn't feel like a loss. It feels like an expense. But I think if, uh, I think Carneros died bridging people after the Fountain War, he was helping clear some people out and stuff. And uh, in this case, it was an ambush that went wrong. It was a baited ambush and they got caught. Uh, and by following orders, Lieutenant Condor didn't jump out early and that would have saved him. But he was following orders and he didn't jump out early. And, uh, and yeah, he felt that loss pretty good. But check that out. It's a pretty good episode on Thursday. And then on, sorry, that was on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we talked about investing uh with again shen and i looked at faction battleships actually Suetonia, you were the one that kind of told us faction battleships are going to go up to a billion do you still feel that way what do you think's going on with faction i mean uh if you take a look at the the prices of like nightmares and things uh, they're now like 1.2 bill <laughs> or higher so they've like almost doubled from what they were. Uh, if you look at the bill cost alone, right? I think faction battleships are probably gonna be around the like seven hundred to one billion ish range. 
and like pirate battleships will be like over one bill uh i think eventually right well right now they're ridiculously expensive because gas is still rare it hasn't made it to the market and the supply that it needs so the build cost is way out of whack the bottlenecks are real tight around the the stuff that's produced by those gases so it's i think it's almost like two to something billion for a faction battleship to build not to sell but to build well, yeah I mean, and that's not even counting the bpc costs as well right uh and then, and then your defense matter all. Uh, you were actually uh, getting in on this type of stuff before the industry changes, but I still feel like uh, you're trying to uh, talk up the market in a, <laughs> in an Elon Musk kind of way. Yeah. So, Tony, what were you going to say? I was going to say, like, right now, like some of the ships that have that had like uh, huge supplies, like you know. Uh, the, the rattlesnake specifically, uh, especially uh, that because, uh, you know, it was obviously a very popular PvE ship. Uh, some of the ships like the Balgun, for example, where it didn't really have too much use, so there was a lot of them around. So like, the Balgun was already kind of cheap for a pirate faction battleship. I yeah. think it was always cheaper than, like, Apoch Navy or something. So but it, only really get, it is an essential ship for, like, certain pvp roles like you see them a lot uh dropped with faxes or used by like low sec or wormholders or groups like you know volta or at that kind of scale they use quite a lot but uh since since they still cost two bill to build eventually they're going to go up in price so although it might take a while for that to go up because i'm not sure what the existing supply was like yeah, I, I think these. The, I think the smart thinking is that the, and it's it's just hard to tell right now because um, uh, it gets complicated. There's a lot of pulls on the supplies that actually make the things that you're trying to buy. Therefore, it's no longer a competition uh, for for the ingredients that go into one item because those ingredients are used in all kinds of other things. It's almost like sugar all of a sudden is used by, uh, you know, not only pastries but uh, now ketchup and that sort of stuff so the demand on sugar is going to pastries it's also going to uh, all these other things that are new uh, so the price of sugar is going to go up which is going to push the sugar the the price of pastries uh even higher because it's harder to get a hold of and that's what's happening with pi it's, I a, think. it's, it's a complicated uh hype cycle right because it's not like when uh trick ships and stuff like that came out where it was a small amount of things that were uh, influenced and then you had a, a, a more normal hype cycle where like what was it what six ships or something like that in total um, that were using these new components so the supply of these new components were kind of catching up easily with the the, the demand um, for the ship types that they went into this is a little bit more complicated because it's everything in the game pretty much that's been touched right so stockpiling the new components and all that thing that uh, relates to to uh, to gas and reactions that whole economy needs to catch up um before prices will even start to normalize so you got a little bit of a chaos everywhere because industrialists have also kind of yanked all their production and when they do that yeah. you have almost an artificial scarcity so you get a, a bump on on pricing just from the fact that people are not actually even committing to making anything because they want to wait for a more certain uh, profitability range. Uh, we saw production yeah. on the monthly economic report drop tremendously. Go ahead, Stuart. 
Yeah, and the uh, another thing too, right, is the mineral price index also jumped up a ton again uh, this month as well with the industry changes because I think a lot of industrialists, whatever they didn't rage build, they're now sitting on those minerals waiting for uh, prices to come down because obviously it doesn't make sense to build stuff. Not a whole lot of people are selling minerals right now because they want to hang on to them. So even even though uh, technically uh, everything... Uh, Battle cruiser and below is much easier to build in terms of the minerals. Not a lot of people are actually building them, so the prices actually haven't come down because people want to sit, want to hold on to what they have right now until uh, uh, CCP either changes something else or the, the uh, these sort of supply chains get figured out and prices normalize. Yeah, uh, Meryl, I need a five minute uh, mute because Antonio said mineral index. <laughs> There's uh, there's going to be months of um, strange pricing going on, uh, so we'll we'll see that. But you can see on Thursday we talked about big investing, long-term invest investing, and how that's different than day trading or or trying to play the market. It's not for everybody. Uh, it takes a longer time to make your profit, and uh, bad bets can really mess you up. But I tell some stories there about um, all kinds of different investments in the past that I made. And I know it's self-indulgent to talk about my own story and my own stuff, but they were good examples of what it's like to invest in a sector and then sit and wait for a year or more before you decide to start selling what you picked up before. And, mm -hmm. and funny fact, Meryl, I, I actually think that you're a really decent or almost good investor. You just have one problem. You do the same thing that some day traders do. You sit there and stare at, uh, at, your, at, at the market uh, movements and, and the news. And then you panic prematurely, so you actually lose out on a lot of profit. But you're really, really good at picking uh, good things. <laughs> I think it's uh, both the fact that you have an inherent feeling of where the game is supposed to be going. So you get in on things very early. And I don't know if you have other hot tips, uh, dudes like myself, but uh, you seem to be right uh, at least uh, three out of four times. <laughs> My problem is I sometimes hold on to things too long and never cash in. That's or, or you cash in just too fast because you panic. Yeah, there are sometimes, but you need to get liquid sometimes. Anyway, check out that one. That's on Thursday. Big investing by Surfing Trends. Then Friday we did a, a review of the gate building and how that's going. A lot of you know there's an event going on right now. It's actually been extended by two days. There's a little bit of trouble introducing it uh, with people getting into it, introducing the event. Uh, so they've extended it by a couple days. Don't know if that's why, but in any case, uh, you can still participate. And uh, nobody was building the Stain Gate. Yeah, that was pretty funny, especially because Stain Guy, uh, like a notorious Reddit poster, is someone who's uh, begged CCP to put a Losic Gate to Stain for so long, and he hasn't even been mining himself. Yeah. Uh, there was somebody who uh, wrote in our YouTube comments, uh, I am the boss of Stain. <laughs> and so he said, uh, we're, we're waiting for those low seckers to come into to uh, Stain so that they can be taken care of by the locals. So that's going to be interesting. I mean, I it could be a good opportunity though, right? Like if no one's done anything yet, you only have to like run a few sites and ventures and-, and Get and, your name uh, on there. Are pretty ch cheap, right? Yeah, you can get your name like forever- Put on a monument in Eve, but, so but like, seriously, Suetonia, Stain guy is retired, right? He's basically sitting on a beach, going, "My job here is done." 
I just wonder if like the gate will make Stain a little more popping because normally you roam around Stain and is dead until you get killed by good sacks, right? And the locals. Yeah. Um so I wonder if it'll be a little more popping overall. Yeah, I'm really excited for it, not because of Stain, but because that constellation is actually really close to period basis. It like ch- changes like getting from Empire to period basis from something like 40 jumps to like 20 or something. Wow. And that, that's actually pretty interesting. And that might mean that, you know, the, the guys uh, who are in period basis right now, uh, you might see a lot more roamers down there. And as a consequence of that, because of like where it connects and where Paragon Soul and Esoteria are, it's going to be a lot easier to roam to Paragon Soul and Esoteria now after as well. Well, wow, that's bad news for period basis from people like well, you. Well, I mean, it depends on your perspective, right? Like the, the good news is that uh, if there's more PvP there and better Empire access, that can actually be a good thing for you, especially with the current meta where, uh, you know, you need to need a high DBS to make good crab ticks. Like it's not it's not as much about like hiding in the, like dead end regions anymore, right? The outer regions and trying to rockle rockle mine or like crab in perfect safety. Yeah. Like the meta is kind of like fraternity of called on to, right? Is you actually move close to low sick, so you have access to the low sick minerals, like easier uh, freight back to Empire, so you can import export cheaper, and then you also have like the better access to PvP and to some extent, right? Like having pvp in your space is good because it raises the bounty risk modifier so you probably make more money overall even though your your guys are probably going to be dying a bit more too yeah you're you're basically putting nutrients in the soil from the blood of the people who are fighting in your lands and that way you have better harvesting uh, possibilities uh one second, that's just such a good point I want to emphasize that the period basis now has uh, throughput to low sec, brings it alive. Stain is an ugly pipe bottleneck kind of place, but that's really great for people to be able to move back and forth like that. Arcia? I feel like the uh, explanation for why PvP increases the bounty modifier is because pirates, like the NPC pirates behave just like the players where they look for activity on the map and go towards it to shoot something. Right. That's my head cannon for like why in world this is working like that. Is that, uh, is that canon or is that what you were no, thinking? No, it's just head cannon. Right. Oh, there, head there's cannon, been okay. no like thorough explanation as to why Capcom implemented this. Right. Head cannon. So Tony, do you have anything else? Oh no, I was just going to say, uh, uh, that maybe the pirates are just really good at ninja salvaging and you know taking the the loot that people leave behind. But uh, again, I think the the applicable part of that is the period basis is connected to stain, is connected to low sack. That brings period basis back into um, something I think you said is critical, Suetonia, which is uh, the new meta isn't uh, security by obscurity. It isn't hiding away as far away from people and harvesting the uh, resources. That's not the meta for, for empire building anymore. It's getting involved, getting close to those shores that are active, the low sec shores basically, and uh, basically active money-making. So 
think it's really good. Yeah, point. and with the uh, with the with the new materials like gas and wormhole stuff, right? You you want to lower your importing costs as much as possible since people need to import stuff a lot more now into the Nosek. Yeah, good good observation. Okay, so that's the week. Check those shows out. Uh, also, around Eve Online, there was mostly not a lot of news coming out of the game itself. There's some battles here and there. We'll talk about those another time. But uh, a lot of stuff in the meta. We had CSM interviews on the CCP channel for Twitch, and you got to see, what is it, five minutes? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Each person. You, you were both on there since you're both running for CSM, Suetonia and Arcia. What was it like? That was fine. It was just a pretty standard interview. No real hard questions. You know, CC, you, you don't get a the convict Madero experience from CCP. <laughs> at least. No, no shipping by Swift or Carneros. Pretty much agree with that. It was straightforward. I said who I was, and then everybody got asked the same basic questions. Um, and what was the um, what was the idea of uh, Arcia? You put your camera on like you did today, and Suetonia, you put a picture up. You didn't put a camera up. Yeah, that's because I just woke up. So I was like, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just put a picture there. Still the funniest was uh, Brisk in the pool with the suit. That legitimately made me laugh. Like, in a, was it a hot tub or a pool? Or it was a pool. Like it was like a kiddie pool. Yeah. And yeah, the, I, uh, I laughed at that. I definitely the laughed The inflatable it. banana and the like spinning wheel as well. Like, <laughs> it's really good. It's a lot of effort. I think he, wait, he put a suit in jeopardy again. I think that's the second time. Um, well, I think he said that the suit was already messed up anyway, because he said that the crutch was like already broken or something. Yeah, I think he, I think he keeps that one uh, ready for these sorts of uh, gags. What did you think, um, Caleb? Oh, I was enjoying it. I, I uh, of course, I knew that uh, Brisk was going to do this because uh, uh, it's been hinted at for quite a while that he was promising uh, that he was going to do the hot tub meta, and there was even a teaser with just the banana floating and things like that on one of the meta shows. So that, that one was not surprising, but uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, Spot's uh, interview. And yeah. uh, I actually also liked the, the funny one with, um, uh, what's his name? Angry Mustache when he was actually doing a, a PowerPoint presentation. It might've been cringe to some people, but I think it was actually kind of cool because he was going into detail and, and trying to do it, uh, uh, inside the clock is like okay you're not gonna make it mate because 10 minutes <laughs> is not enough for all that stuff but i think he almost made it so that was fun um so th and there was some 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 good appearances i uh i kind of enjoyed uh, teddy's uh, appearance as well and i know that now i'm mentioning all the tis people that was because there's yeah, so yeah. many minutes of stuff this week that i had to prioritize so i was kind of uh, clicking uh, past many of the other uh, interviews. Sorry about that. I'll catch them and get around to it eventually. Well, yeah, speaking of like a week loaded uh, for meta content, which are shows and stuff like that, there was um, a Push to Talk episode. You're part of Push to Talk. Uh, you're there all the time uh, as crew and as a panelist and stuff. What was different about this week's Push to Talk? Well, the difference uh, this time was that we finally got uh, one of uh, the uh, infamous uh, INN writers and uh, local smack talkers, uh, Mumin Amatin, on. Um, it's been a while since we've actually uh, had him on anything on INN. I think at least more than a year, maybe even two. 
Um, so it was uh, nice to see him come back. He's one of those really, really old Eve players, uh, grumpy veterans that uh, that writes these uh, tongue-in-cheek, uh, almost uh, sarcasm dribbling um, pieces on INN. Uh, it's usually slightly propaganda esque, and and then it's uh, it's it's history stuff. So it's like uh, if uh, Andrew Groen had a, a Spin Master two thousand, um, and and then of course personally, I I, I love his uh, British accent and his his old man tone of voice. Uh, so we had a lot of back and forth. Again, um, it's a good substitute when uh, we no longer have uh, the other old man that left us. And is now doing uh, the CCP uh, interviews with the uh, CSM uh, candidates. So we miss you, Elise. Please uh, come back. What, old old man star Elise? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, old man Elise. Oh, man. Uh, but did, did you see some of his tweets? Uh, I feel old. Yeah, that's because you are old, mate. <laughs> so rude. Well, I thought the, the Push to Talk episode was really compelling this week, with uh, a few exceptions when it went a little overboard on. Uh, you know, the, this hand-wringing kind That's a of feature, stuff. not a bug. Well, okay. But it's off-putting to people who were enjoying the first part of it, which I thought was really great, with you talking about finance and Moomin talking about really floating ideas about war. Um, that was a really good episode. It's something that I've been meaning to, to talk about for a while, but because it was so drama and controversy-filled, uh, I kind of left it out of uh, of the whole explanation of uh, of the economic realities because we we covered this six months or longer, right? Back in the early early days of the war, when we had really on a lot, we did a lot of back and forth with talking about economy and war stashes and and all that stuff. But because of all the the drama, I kind of put it on the shelf uh, for the past three months or so, at least. Um, but I thought it was worth mentioning because Pickles actually brought it up when he called uh, the war bonds a Ponzi. And, of course, I, I, I dunked on him a little bit on that one. And, uh, well, still love you, Pickles. Pro-God. We call him Pro-God here because we respect what people want to be called. Uh, you're staff, so you can't, you can't get away with the guest. I can call him whatever I want. Uh, okay. The next thing was uh, Open Comms, uh, the return of Dirk McGurk, at least for that one episode. We don't know if he'll stick around, but it was a DJ memorial, which was kind of a big deal. Uh, D- DJ was the founder of Open Comms, and he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and so it was uh, his birthday, and they celebrated with uh, D- uh, DJ's, DJ's uh, wife, which was really nice. Uh, so check that out. That was a nice uh, episode too. And that's what was going on in some of the shows uh, this this week. The next uh, portion is uh, player news. And that was probably the biggest thing that happened was Poshvin uh, just got really active with a lot of combat. Arcia is part of Edencom and uh, she was in there fighting it out. What happened? Well, last night there was a, a Halltimer and Asbel in the system of where Shoda um, and the Defending forces were successfully able to defend it from us. Um, it was it was probably I think it was bigger than the last big fight in Wirishota, uh numbers wise. Uh, we went in once again with a typhoon fleet. We got landed on by the like the much larger Megathon fleet almost as soon as we landed, and we weren't really able to get away. We took fairly sizable losses and warped out. We had some other fleets that on on grid of other organizations who were 
roughly coordinating with us, um, not in the same fleet or anything, but they were skirmishing with Cerberuses. They killed a few things, but ultimately the Asbel was saved by the defending forces. Uh, yesterday, uh, no, yesterday or the day before, there was like an attack on one of our citadels that ended up uh, the armor timer fleet that showed up to attack was actually like a main fleet with Tristan's. Um, which was very different from any of the other fights in the campaign. Um, kind of funny, and I think both sides had fun with that one. But besides that one, Tristan Fleet, most of the fighting has been battleship slugfests. Some uh, some of them, the defending Pachven forces win handily, and some of them we win handily. There's usually a lot of ships destroyed in every fight. And uh, I think it's overall been a blast. Um, and I hope a lot of people on the other side think the same. Yeah. And this is, but this isn't, uh, it's what's happened. What's changed that these fights are now happening. And uh, um, hasn't it been like all week and will it go on? You think? Well, okay. The, the start of the war was, um, Strebog attacked uh, an Electus Matari Citadel in Skarkon to try to put pressure on Electus Matari to stop putting pressure on a high-sec pirate group that we had declared war on. Um, and we decided, all right, we'll, we'll come in here and fight Strebog because the gates are open now. And they were also on our shortlist because they're Triglavian aligned and we are Republic aligned. Um, as the fight escalated, we first brought in the other forces of, like the other RP groups, the Phoenix Naval Systems and Lumen, who were uh, on the Edencom side with us in the invasions. And as the fights ha were happening, uh, more and more outside groups, like uh, like Nullsec Initial Pen, Dreadbomb, are involved in some of the fights. They They saw these fights and... Want, they wanted to get involved. Um, we're still forming our fleet with just like the Edencom groups and, and our own blues. But like, there's a few different groups who are like, are, are you going to this timer tonight? Are you going this time? Okay. And we all show up. And it, like, it just, if you ever saw that scene from Anchorman where uh, the fight scene where they, they're like walking along and then like the other group comes and then all these yeah, other groups yeah. just keep pouring out of the sides. That's basically what Pochfin is like right now. My wife worked on that movie, Anchorman. I went to the crew party uh for that movie. And uh I have a picture of who's the guy that became a big star of uh The Office. I forget his name. Anyway. I won't get into it. Um uh, but uh yeah the Anchorman where they show up at the corner and they start to pull out their knives and pitchforks and all that stuff and the news groups are yeah. And there are multiple groups fighting each other. That's pretty cool. Well, uh, we'll see how uh, how that forms up in the future there with uh, Edencom now able to get in there and move around. Yeah, Steve Carell. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I can't I can't finish that story. I realized what I was going to say isn't appropriate for uh, the air. Uh, okay. So thanks uh, for the Poshman report. We'll be uh, looking at that um, as it seems like there's some kind of... Uh, a legitimate war going in there that you guys are involved with in your own merits. But there's also talk of, from NullSec, a proxy war. Is that a bunch of hot air? What do you think? Well, it's, I mean, it's maybe not the right term, right? This is more about the the situation with the siege in Delve. 
means that a lot of uh, people are doing other stuff elsewhere. You can see this on the uptick of uh, wormhole uh, isk making and uh, high sake mining and posturing participation. And I do suspect that you're going to see more of uh, what I'm calling a pappy attempt of denial of play, where they're trying to um, cramp down and stop the Imperium from being able to have ad hoc fun elsewhere. So this started as one RB group. Actually, it started as the Triangles attacking us, right? After we were more decorated right. unrelated group. <laughs> and we went back to fight the people we fought during the invasions. Now other groups are pouring into the fight and they each have their own motivations that are completely different from ours. And maybe some of them are like something, something, the null war. But like it seems like it feels from my perspective that everybody yelling about proxy war is trying to take this fight that came out of RP and turn it into their their null stuff and claim it for theirs um when it's I feel like it's a fire that we started um well the RP peers started the two RP groups started and like every fight like every campaign of my entire eve career almost has been small groups working together against a larger one and oh, as good. fights heat up groups come into fights because they see these fights on z kill they see the battle reports length and they think i want a piece of that and whatever their motivations may be it didn't start because of anything to do with the no war well, Suetonia, again, I go back to what you said. I think it's a, a really good point, and that is that the new meta is to evolve into active gameplay, into the uh, areas that are low-sec related. Whatever active money-making uh, can happen, and that includes Poshvin, I think. Um, so I wonder if there's already bets being made on how involved to get with it. Well, Poshvin doesn't actually have any unique resources, right? It for the most part, I mean, you have the Triglavian ore, but it just gives you regular minerals. There's no like new gas side to you do well, get the Triglavian the... Tech Two salvage from yeah. there, right? Tech Two salvage, right? But I'm not sure like how how uh, how many Nolsec doctrines use any of the Tech Two uh, Triglavian ships. Like you don't really see Zard Mads and yeah, uh, market by the way. Used too much. Yeah, I think on um, Thursday when we talked about market stuff, we looked at uh, T2 loot from Poshman and how much it has dropped. It's like 50% of what it was. It may go back yeah. up. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Well, I mean, it's a lot easier to get in there now, right, with no standings and gates. It's a lot easier to be a ninja salvager because unlike before, you're not restricted to being in one system. You can just go from system to system looking for wrecks that the NPCs have left behind and ninja salvage it. It's also a lot easier to run the sites now as a group too, because you don't necessarily need the standings to go in there. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the value from the sites comes from the uh the the isk value generated from the uh the the staging observatory sites, whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Observatory flashpoints. Those are the, the main source of isk. And then there's also the world arcs which are very, very, very lucrative, but you need uh, a de- really decent group, and there's a lot of hunters in Pochman now. Right. We'll break you up while you try to do those. 
Well, and so what you're saying is because those are very specialized pieces of loot, they don't have a wider market, so they may not be the what you're supposed to do for um, uh, you know for income. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm not sure people are nosecers are going in there strategically. If if that's what what you think, but I think there's just content in there, right? It's a good source of making money. I know there's a, a good subsection of Goonswarm that works with the Triglavian groups who have been going in there to get money, and it's probably just a good good source of getting fights as well. And it's also a good travel conduit as well around certain areas of the map. So, yeah, the leader of Strybog Strybog uh, denies that. They are working with the Imperium on anything, but they are plus five. Um, I don't know how that needle's threaded, but he says they're not, you know, it's... That's historical reasons, right? It, it, yeah. it ties all the way back to the, the Neogist uh, uh, events and all that, right? As far as I know. When the Imperium helped uh, in Neogia. Yeah, this is what... Okay, right now, there is a denial of, of uh, access to, to proper game and content in in the war right so if you want to do something you can have some fun on alts and uh, and doing other things i'm almost inc- inclined to say this is the imperium's f3 button right if you uh <laughs> if you need to do something then then you can go and have some fun in in, in all that triglavian stuff and there's a lot of imperium people that actually really like that also from a law perspective and content perspective but it's also really good isk right you, you need to be a little bit specialized and know what you're doing as far as i'm told but i'd say that it's number two or number three on the list of what you can do as a backup income uh of course wormhole uh what's it called <laughs> hobo farming or, or roach farming <laughs> um is definitely still number one i I'd, I'd say but then there's of course as i said high sec mining and, and even uh, some of uh, the Imperium people have, have claimed that, that they have crabbing alts in the actual enemy uh, lines. Well, it wasn't lost on me that um, uh, we, we reported that the uh, structure was owned by a goon swarm, a Satia, not a Satia, but there's a structure in one of those areas, and then we got corrected. Uh, yeah, it was, more not, corrected it was just manned, right? It was manned yeah, by was, a, a goon. Yeah, it was, sorry, yeah, and it was it's gunned by... Tatara. that was yeah. gunned by somebody. Yeah, we cleared that up, but then um, a little bit later, Pro God. So then it was on our mind, and then Pro God's gets asked, like, "Are we going into uh, Poshvin to uh, to fight Goonswarm?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, we have a plan. We're going in there." And I'm thinking that poor guy who's like, "Hey, we're not working with uh, Goonswarm," is about to get raided by Test or Pappy forces. So I wonder what's going to happen there. Well, it's they're separate going to be from... rumble stomped, right? Because just from Pappy numbers alone, and the fact that the Imperium are not officially dedicated to doing any sort of proxy war in Poshwin, means that if uh, Pickles and uh, uh, friends are going to rumble stomp into Poshwin, they're going to be completely uh, steamrolled. I think. Yeah, and that's bad news for him. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye it's on. Also, that. why he's trying to deny affiliation, right? Well, it may just be true, and he's trying to set the record straight. Like I, I take him at his word. He's also running for CSM, right? So he's uh, he's got a few things going on. We'll see what happens there. Okay, well, uh, that's all our news this week. So we're at two hours. So you guys have any last messages or shout-outs? Or uh, yeah, uh, 
I think Bayard J or the Event oh. is planning on streaming the Battleship 1v1 filament that CCP is doing next week. It's uh, In case you don't know, it's a 24-hour-only filament, and I think it's on Saturday from Saturday downtime to downtime on Sunday. That's when it ends. And I think he was planning on streaming it as like a sort of a tournament thing where, you know, they some people stream their perspective in the Event channel and then they commentate over the Battleship 1v1s. So uh, if you're interested, if you would maybe be interested in uh, taking part in that, I think if you send him like a Discord PM or something. Yeah, there's also but, something something else to do with um, the Proving Grounds uh, that Fozzie put out on uh, Twitter. Is that the same thing? Yeah, yeah, we... it's the same same thing. Yeah, there's going to be a special uh, 24 only uh, 24 hour only uh, Battleship 1v1 event. There, they were going to reward it a certain way, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it'll probably be very similar to what they did with the. Uh, the 18 man FFA where they had an ISK reward when you went in, you got 8 million ISK when you went in, then you got another 8 million ISK when you did, did a certain amount of damage, which was pretty easy to do in any combat ship, even if you got like blobbed <laughs> at the start. So uh, like assuming they'll do something similar, like, I don't know, maybe you get 50 million ISK the first time you go in and 50 million ISK if you do a certain amount of damage. And then that way uh, you get a, it, as a, with the insurance from the battleship for a tech two battleship, it probably wouldn't be that, to tactic fit battleship it probably wouldn't be that bad of a loss right so you can you get you know it's kind of like insurance you get a little little something back for participating thanks utonia uh you guys got anything else arcia caleb no not really yeah it's kind of a slow news week right we really had to yeah uh... it's also because some of the things that i, I kind of want to talk about soon is really not matured yet because that's all the industry and market related stuff and I want to do some prepping with crunching a few numbers I gotcha alright well Arcia thanks very much Sutonia thank you and Caleb thank you for calling pro god pro god in the future and uh, we will uh, leave it there so McLeod thank you very much for being behind the control room and uh, running that video for CCP Thank you again, CCP, for uh, the information and uh, the outreach to players about the Academy. And uh, that's all we have time for this week. We will see you next time on Talking In Station.